Is it working now for more than a fucking second? There we go. Testing, testing. Holy shit, it's recording another episode of soon to be a major motion podcast. I am your host, Billy Beck. I am your host, Cody Beck. And, uh, Cody, it's only been like five days since we last recorded. (laughs) No, you're breaking the illusion. It's been two whole weeks since I've seen you. I mean, no. How have you been? I'm going to remember to ask you this time because I care about you. How have I been? What did I do? I edited the podcast. I uploaded the podcast. I watched the movie for this. Something happened. I got real high last weekend. (laughs) Like, the whole weekend. It was great because we didn't have anybody in town. We did not. We laughed. And it was an international break. I did fucking shit all. I swear to God, I did something this last week. I was even thinking about it, like, yesterday. I was like, there's something I can talk about. (laughs) What the fuck was it? Did it involve sports? I feel like it involved sports. It usually involves sports with me, right? Did you go somewhere? No. Did something happen with a sports team? Probably. Was it Man City? No, they were on international break. Was it ACFC? They were on international break. Was it the was it the, the well, Spanish guy getting fired or quitting oh, finally? Get fucked, Ruby Alice. No. God, imagine having a life so boring <laughs> 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 that you think you did an interesting thing and it's just fucking gone out the window. I mean, we was went... it work related? Was it work related? Hey, I can't talk about that. You can't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna censor that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but uh, it's probably that thing where uh, one of my vendors, uh... <laughs> the right wing cancel machine, pointed its fingers at a right wing company that I work with. And why did they do that? Because they cooperated with the police. That is the sound of me sipping tea. Cooperating with the police is violating my freedoms. Wow, I didn't think that I would agree with Republicans on anything. It is extra funny considering my company. It's been slow, but it's usually pretty slow in August, September. We've had one order canceled <laughs> because of this. Just one. <laughs> I talked to one of their sales reps today. And she was like, we're using fake names now because we're getting threats. Just because Charlie Kirk points his fingers and says bankrupt them doesn't mean you fucking have to. But also, the type of business that you're in, it's not going to work the way you think it's going to work, guys. No! No, I'd have to get into a way... Like, I want to get up on my soapbox and yell about this so badly, but I also want to keep my job. Therefore... Capitalism, (laughs) catch-22. Therefore, more discussion of this will happen if you tell all of your friends to like and subscribe this podcast so we get enough listeners that I can put ads on here and then we can quit our day jobs and do this full time. Then Then I will give you the tea. But then who will we have as advertisers, William? They're all MLMs or grifters. (laughs) All the podcast advertisers? Get Blue Apron. Fair. Is Casper Batcher still in the podcast game? We'll get HelloFresh because they want us to come back so bad. Oh, there's, they want me back so bad. HelloFresh, it's been a wonderful two years. You taught me everything I know about cooking. I don't need you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Because you're a grown-up now. I'm an adult. I just made, like, a sweet soy garlic rice and beef broccoli bowl. It was fucking brilliant. It was very good. Oh, so nice. How have you been? What have you been up to? Nothing. Getting mm-hmm. caught up from all of the, uh... I feel like it's worse when you take time off work where you just take, like, a day off. Like, day off, day on, day off, day on. Like, I feel like that overall is worse because you come back and you're like, oh, this thing that I forgot to do or only did part of because I had to leave is now going to be partially done and I have to come back and fix it. So I'm kind of doing that. And plus, a bunch of different people are out at my office. My boss has been out for almost a month. Um, First it was vacation and now it's covid so allegedly uh so in fairness (laughs) we both have come back from vacations and then taken an immediate week off for covid before oh yeah no no no. i just mean i i don't i don't know for a fact that it's covid i'm just assuming so because she hasn't come back into the office so i didn't realize that my boss was off for over a week with covid i had no idea that he wasn't even there just every day i was like oh i guess he's not in today (laughs) (laughs) that you know Hmm. Yeah. Speaking of uh, bosses that are useless, and uh, <laughs> that's not a good segue. I'm trying to come up with a good segue, and I can't think of one. Uh, speaking of um, so Vacations we're talking about Halloween parties? party. <laughs> <laughs> Agatha Christie's Halloween party. The 1969 novel? Yes. Ooh, I researched today. So, first, I do have to, um, I do have to make a correction, uh, on something that I said on the last podcast. I said that Death on the Nile took place before Murder on the Orient Express. That was incorrect. Murder on the Orient Express is number 10 in publishing order, um, and Death on the Nile is number 18 in publishing order. That said, Halloween Party is number 41. <laughs> Some things have changed with our buddy Hercule. There were a lot of references to him being old in this book. So, this is the third Hercule Poirot mystery that we've covered. And every single time, someone gets murdered while he's around. Are we sure it's not just him? And that he's an elaborate storyteller who manages to make things up to get other people convicted for his crimes. So funny you should use that as a framing device. Is that the final book? It turns out they're all him? No. Oh. But that is literally something that is brought up in the first chapter of Halloween Party. Uh, Is that there is a famous mystery author by the name of... Ariadne Oliver. Don't worry, we'll get into the significance of her fucking name. Let's do it right now. So Agatha, I mean Ariadne Oliver. (laughs) So Ariadne (laughs) Oliver is a famous mystery writer and she is, uh, at the request of her friend, uh, Judith Butler, she is spending some time in, um, Woodley, oh god. Woodley Gardens? Woodley, yes, Woodley Garden. Uh, which is an, a neighborhood... Neighborhood isn't the right word, but it's like a, a dwelling area, province, county, whatever, in 
uh, outside of London. It's, it's close to Manchester. Suburb of oh, then it's not a suburb of. If it's close to Manchester, it's well. Okay, and that's that's Northern England. It's they refer to it as being like a couple of hours outside of London, but they also multiple characters make trips into Manchester like it's not a problem. Well, okay, sure. Also, every single time that the narrator of the audiobook pronounced Manchester, I thought he was saying Madchester, and I was like, no. Well, <laughs> Madchester is, like, a name for the Manchester music scene. Ah. Um, and it's probably been a nickname for a bunch of things over the years in Manchester. I'm not from there. Just follow their football club. But one of my kits uh, has, on the N, on the uh, neck tag, has a... Uh, a yellow D where the N is mm-hmm. for Manchester. And it's, I believe they said when the kit was released, it's an ode to the music scene. Um, I think this is just because this narrator had a very weird accent. Um, That's also entirely possible. <laughs> so Woodley Garden, uh, which is not, uh, not outside of England. In fact, takes place in the country of England. Yes, between Um, London and Manchester, as we've discussed. (laughs) Uh, And so she is visiting, and she's at this Halloween party, and this little girl, uh, I say little girl, they don't specify whether she's 12 or 13. Like, no one really remembers how old she is. She's like, hey! She's like tween, for sure. Uh, So our audience understands where I'm coming from. I watched the uh, Agatha Christie's Poirot episode Halloween Party, which was also released in 2012. I think it was the episode released just before Murder on the Orient Express. That would make sense. Yeah. Uh, so the David Sachet, Sachet? I never looked up how to pronounce it. But anyway, that's what I watched for this. Continue. So, I'm going to look up how to pronounce that. <laughs> so um, she says, hey, uh, Joyce is her name, Joyce Reynolds. Um, she says, hey, I saw a murder once. And everyone's like, no, you didn't. You're a liar. And everyone knows you're a liar. And they all make fun of her. So she doesn't give any more detail. And then miraculously, or uh, improvidentially, I guess, um, she ends up found at the end of the party, uh, face down in a bucket of apples that were used for apple bobbing. Drowned. Just applesauce all up in her lungs. (laughs) Worm crawling out of her ear. So she she has been brutally murdered at this party. And doctors can't get anywhere near her. <laughs> Stop it. I'm trying to tell the story. David Suchet, for uh, the record. I looked it up and I was way off. Uh, so Miss Oliver actually summons Hercule from London. Mm-hmm. So he is not present at the time of the murder, but she summons him. At the time of this murder. time of this murder. Uh, so she actually summons him because she's like, hey, this happened at a party that I was at, and shit is suspicious, okay? So she has him come down to, uh, to Woodley, and he does his creepy little investigating thing where he creeps around like a little old man. <laughs> Asking questions, getting answers. And uh, he 
ends up discovering basically that there's been everyone keeps telling him oh it's such a nice place to live except and then when he digs a little bit more it's like oh yeah except for that murder like 18 months ago and that girl that tried that tried to steal a bunch of money from her wealthy employer and that other guy that got murdered also like 25 months ago it's like there's a lot of murders in a small town guys did does he ask uh when he gets there who the local gossip is um, no, he does not. He just assumes that Mrs. Oliver will have all the gossip for him. So, when Poirot is riding into Woodley Gardens on the train, he meets a gardener who lives there, mm-hmm. whose name is Garfield. Oh, that is not where Garfield is introduced in the book. Okay. Oh, okay. And he asks Garfield, uh, hey... Where can I get the local hot goss? I need to sip some tea. Who's brewing? And he's like... He, he multiple times in this book is like, I hate tea. <laughs> My bad. Um, and he is uh, pointed towards Mrs. Goodbody. Who tells him... Or he asks a little bit later on, any like weird deaths that could have been murders? And then she like lays out, alright, could be her, could be him, could be her. So, is there a character named Spence? Spence McKay? No. So, Spence and Elspeth McKay or Mackay are actually Poirot's uh, excuse for coming to visit. Like, of course, he's called down by Mrs. Oliver. Mm -hmm. But he actually stays with the McKays, which is Spence, an old police buddy of his, uh, and Elspeth, his sister. Um, and basically Poirot, when he arrives, is like, hey, so y'all had a murder here. What you know from the police and your police connections? And Spence is like, oh, I'm retired. I don't have any of that. And Poirot's like... I know about the blue line. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Spence is like, ah, you got me. This is what I've been hearing. And he he's the one that actually says, okay... Here is this itemized list of people that have died mysteriously in the last three years. And over and over again, the thing that they keep talking about with regards to, may I remind you, this brutally murdered child is that she's a fucking liar. Everyone is like, so so at the party, she keeps saying like, oh, I saw a murder once. Yeah, it was a while. I didn't know it was a murder at the time, but I saw a murder once. And Poirot is on it. He's mm-hmm. like, okay, this kid saw a murder. She was definitely killed because she saw murder, probably by somebody involved in the murder who was at that party. Yeah. And he's asking around, and everyone's like, oh, she's a liar. She would always... Literally unprompted, the first thing that multiple characters say to him, as soon as he's like, tell me about the child, they're like, oh, she's a fucking liar. (laughs) Bitch lies. (laughs) Oh, Joyce, never a truth. Not a one. (laughs) So, he slowly uncovers this, like plot where oh this old lady died seemingly of natural causes um and she had a bunch of money and there was a codicil to her will that said she was actually going to be leaving it to her au pair girl um who was olga smirnoff wait <laughs> Close that's <enough>. not right <laughs> olga Semenov. Semenov. uh she was leaving the money to olga Semenov, her au pair because it was very heavily implied that she did not get along with her um, 
niece, Rowena Drake, who was also the person who hosted the Halloween party. Mm-hmm. And it's also very funny because it's, I can't tell if this is um, British humor or if this is, I don't know what exactly it is, but there's very tongue-in-cheek descriptions where Pro Row keeps asking people, did you like her or do you like this person? Like he asks it about Joyce and he asks it about Rowena Drake. And everyone just kind of goes, that's a weird question to ask. I'm going to talk around the question so that I don't have to say that, no, I don't like her. I don't think she's a nice person. He asks her brother at one point, and he is just straight up like, yeah, I should be sad, but I'm not. I never really cared for her. As he, like, strokes his new gold watch, and he's playing with it, and he wanders off to get murdered. (laughs) Yeah, everyone village is just like man we hate everyone but you know who else we hate more than everyone foreigners <laughs> i didn't see any foreigner hate actually in the uh there is so much foreigner hatred Agatha. they are so mean to olga for no reason um oh you know what yeah every time she comes up they're like Oh, she's a baddie. She's no good. Also, whenever you get into anybody else's point of view and they're looking at Poirot, they're like, mm, this foreigner. This Belgian <laughs> speaking French, the language of cowards. <laughs> looking so, for his chockies. <laughs> Ooh, a little chocky chucky. Chucky chucky. Chuckling at his dickens. <laughs> Getting in a shootout on a boat. We're not there yet. <laughs> so... Uh, Poirot slowly uncovers um, this. Basically, there was a forgery. They thought that this codicil to the will of the old lady was a forgery. It was a forgery. It was not a forgery. No, the one that the police had and examined was a forgery. Correct. But there was a real one that was created by the old lady and signed by two different witnesses. Uh, but that that was obviously not presented to the police or mm-hmm. the lawyers. So Olga um, tried to... It basically, Olga tried to get the money, um, and the police were like, no, you clearly forged this. You're going to get... You're going to get... Um, abducted or you're not abducted Um, (laughs) well well well. (laughs) you're going to you're gonna go to jail but since it's your first time you're probably not and she's like no you hate foreigners you're gonna put me in jail and let me rot and die so she's like i'm gonna go find someone that helps me and everyone just assumes she ran away um and fled justice quote unquote justice so then further along uh he's discovers okay so maybe that was a dead end And then he stumbles across uh, Michael Garfield, the landscape architect who has created this magical uh, Irish garden. It was just like a bunch of very pointy hedges (laughs) in the the movie. It was described as like, okay, so my Anne of Green Gables girlies, if any of you are listening to this, uh, it was described the way Anne describes all of her wonderful descriptions of that area that she grew up in, in like Canada, Nova Scotia. Um, Or sorry, I'm not Nova Scotia, Prince Edward Island. Um, Same thing. Oh. Right, Canada? Right? <laughs> you're gonna, you're it's gonna all be the so same. Mad. 
pissing off. What are they going to do? Throw poutine at me? No, they're going to send Justin Bieber to get you. What are they going to do? Offer me socialized health care? <laughs> Don't be mean to the Canadians. We may need to flee there. Um, uh, to their, <laughs> their blackface prime minister? Yeah, you got skeletons in the closet too, Canada. Uh, so... Picking fights with the Great White North. So it's described as, like, this beautiful wonderland, and he run he goes to see, because he wants to get, Poirot wants to get, like, an idea of the mind of the elder, uh, Drake before she passed away. So he's, like, hanging out in the garden, and he runs across Michael Garfield, and he's basically like, hmm, this guy really loves himself and, like, nothing else. He really reminds me of, like, Narcissus. So... He has a little chat with him and gets some more information and then starts following some leads where he realizes, oh, so Olga disappeared. Everyone assumed that she escaped, but maybe she didn't. And uh, his friend is staying with the butlers and there's a little girl named Miranda. Uh, She's about 12 years old. She was actually Joyce's bestie. Sorry, his his friend. His friend is... um... Yeah, sorry. Uh, Mrs. Oliver is staying with the butlers. She's the writer. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Sorry. I, I got confused. Because <laughs> um, Hercule is also saying with the butlers in the movie. Oh, okay. That's no. why I thought yeah. you, I thought there was another character that I that got cut out and I was confused. Yes. So, uh, little Miranda, um, Poirot is like, yo, this little girl is real cool. And she's also, like, beautiful and smart. And he's like, that's weird. She's, like, weirdly beautiful. So he's immediately suspicious of her. Should be suspicious of himself looking at a child like that. <laughs> okay, it's not it's not like sexual. He's more like like looking at her the way you would look at like a piece of art. Okay. Poirot is aggressively non-sexualized in the books. Yes. Good. <laughs> um so he's hanging out with a little girl and he's like, "Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to keep an eye on you cuz like children keep dying." And right on cue, Leopold's body turns up. Dun, dun, dun. Leopold has also been drowned uh, in a brook. And so he's like, all right, well, that basically proves my suspicion of who I think did it. Um, and so he starts investigating in that death and he's like, oh, his parents are poor. The Reynolds family is poor, but he had like a lot of money and he was buying. He was really into physics. Um, and so he starts investigating a little bit more he's like where did this money come from and everyone he goes around and asks about leopold again and everyone's like yo that kid's a little shit nobody likes him he was a little shit in the movie too (laughs) what a little prick i was kind of happy to see his body wash ashore (laughs) so poirot was like okay i have a suspicion so he tells his friend mrs oliver I'm going to go back to London because I need to check in with some solicitors and I need to check in on uh, whether or not Olga ever actually went back to her home country, which I think is Czechoslovakia in the book. Um, that sounds right. Some Somewhere in the USSR. Yes. Um, and so he's like, I'm going to send you a telegram. When I send you that telegram, you, Mrs. Butler and Miranda need to come to London immediately. So he goes to London And, um, he sends for Mrs. Butler and she's like, all right, cool. And then, uh, Miranda's like, wait, aren't we going to get lunch? And Mrs. Butler's like, yes, let's, let's stop and we'll get lunch at this particular, um, place that's like 45 minutes away, whatever. So they stop and get lunch and Miranda disappears. 
They're like, shit, what's happening? And then it cuts to Miranda's point of view. And she is in a car with a man with a gray beard and gray, uh, I want to say eyelashes, and that's not right. Eyebrows? Yes. Oh, honey. (laughs) And so they go to not Stonehenge, but Stonehenge. It's weird. Rockhedge? I don't remember what it's specifically called. I'm, I would apologize, but I have nothing to say in apology to the land of England. So, um... <laughs> they go to this place, and he's like, listen, I'm gonna ritually sacrifice you, because it's your fault that Joyce Reynolds died. And she's like, this makes sense to me, because I'm 12. And then she gets saved by these two village boys that had been suspected of Joyce's death. Uh, because another running theme in this is the debauchery of children today and the lack of um, adequate mental health care. That's a very generous way of putting it because basically multiple characters, again, unprompted, are just like, obviously some crazy person that was let go out of these asylums uh, that we don't have space for because they just let them wander free. I actually made a note of that. Um, at the time... Uh... There was an abolition in 1965 of capital punishment for murder. So a lot of the crime and punishment in the novel is a direct response to that. Yeah, that seems like something Agatha Christie would respond to. Because multiple, like I said, multiple characters are like, it's a shame that we don't murder people for murder like we used to. It's a shame that we keep having these psychiatrists and psychologists evaluate their mental health. But also... But also, this is this is a country in which they play a game called Snapdragon, wherein children, <laughs> children are allowed to drink, as long as the alcohol is soaked into gross, nasty raisins and then set on fire, and they have to snatch them from the fire. But then they can enjoy some rum. <laughs> is the game of Snapdragon in the book? Yes. Okay. Yes, that's the cover for when Joyce is murdered. Yes. Okay. Perfect. So, um, we're at the ritual murder. Uh, and she's she's saved by these two teenage boys who also, like, pin down uh, the bad guy, who you're not 100% sure of at the time. And then it cuts back to Poirot and uh, Mrs. Oliver, the book writer, and they're talking about um, what had happened in the way that these books usually wrap up. And she's like, wow, how did you know that it was Rowena Drake and Michael Garfield? And it turns out that it was Mrs. Drake. Uh, she was absconding with the money. Our children have the zoomies. Luna's got the zoomies so bad right now. And she just stopped at me and looked up frightened. <laughs> like, oh no, I did something wrong. <laughs> so, um... How did you know it was Rowena Drake and Michael Garfield? And Michael Garfield. Uh, and so... Poirot was like, well... I realized it because someone who had not... I realized that the person who murdered Joyce was someone who should have been... Would not have been wet at the party because they wouldn't have been participating in bobbing for apples. But they were wet anyway. And there was a whole side story where one of the teachers stepped out into the hall during snapdragging because it was too hot. And she saw Mrs. Drake throw water on herself and drop a vase. So it's not a teacher in the movie. It's um, Ariadne. Oh, that okay. sees that in the movie. Yeah, I can see. That's actually something that's easier to to yeah, to compress it down for sure. Mm-hmm. Another another thing that I forgot to mention. I'm sorry. Is the last time that he sees the last time that Poirot sees Michael Garfield before everything before Leopold's death, he is actually sketching um, little Miranda in the garden. 
And he's basically like, yeah, I need to do, a, I need to draw a picture of her because um, I'm going to be leaving soon and I don't want to forget her. Later, when they are, uh, when everything has been wrapped up and he has actually killed himself uh, using the poison that he was going to use to kill Miranda, uh, Garfield has used the poison, um, they find that sketch and they provide it to Judith Butler and uh, the sketch is titled... Iphigenia. Isn't tight. So, we've got Ariadne, which is the saver of uh, Theseus or Perseus? One of the yuses that sucks. They both suck. <laughs> um, I think it's Perseus. Um, One of the uses that suck. <laughs> Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jane, I don't mean that. I said yusses. Thank you very much. Jesus. <laughs> Kanye? Jesus? Is, no. is he one of the yusses? He definitely sucks. Um, we got we got a main character named Ariadne who is abandoned. There's different versions of the myth. In all of them, she is abandoned by Perseus after saving his ass with the Minotaur. She's abandoned on an island. Uh, and in my favorite version of the myth, she ends up, you know, getting with the god Dionysus. Hell Yeah. But, so we got that. And then you've got the reference to Narcissus with Michael Garfield, who is the man, of course, that is so obsessed with himself and his own beauty that he wilts away and withers into nothingness. Uh, and then you also have Iphigenia, who is the daughter of Agamemnon, who is ritually sacrificed so her father gets good wins so they can start the Trojan War. least Agatha Christie and Ken Branagh have one thing in common and that's they're both pretentious as fuck I don't know why you're bringing British actor Kenneth Branagh into this situation (laughs) so anywho anywho, the murderer was Rowena Drake because she wanted to make sure that she got all of the money and it's also I personally feel heavily implied that she killed her husband or had her arranged to have her husband killed because she insists that it's an accident, but he's run over by a car. Um, and he had, he has polio. Uh, so he was relatively immobile. So when you knock him over, he's not getting back up. Um, yeah, as you do. So, uh, it's, I feel that it's pretty heavily implied in the book that she arranged for his death as well. So she would get all of the inheritance and because of, because of the affair that she was having with Michael Garfield, um, her aunt, her great aunt with all the money found out about it. That's why she wrote the codicil that was not actually found or was found and destroyed and the fake one was substituted. So Olga also, they find her body in the well uh, in the well of the quarry garden that Michael Garfield had built. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, of course, Joyce was murdered because the person who actually saw the murder was little Miranda. Mm-hmm. Miranda saw the murder. She told Joyce because Miranda was not at the party because she was feeling ill. Joyce told the story because she wanted to get attention from Mrs. Oliver. And so... Um, that's why she got murdered. And then Leopold was murdered because he was blackmailing um, Rowena and or Michael for money. Uh, mm-hmm. So then they killed him because they weren't sure how much he knew. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, Miranda was 
all was going to be murdered because they knew that she actually knew. And uh, also, one more random thing that I don't even know why she involved this in the story. Judith Butler and Michael Garfield had an affair years before, and he was Miranda's father. Yup. Thanks, Agatha, I guess. Sure. (laughs) Whatever. This beautiful Greek man comes to town, (laughs) impregnates the ladies, kills the children. Well, he's not Greek. He's, he's, uh... Oh, yeah, no, he's, he was living in Greece. Correct. Yeah, he was in Athens or something. That was his alibi for the Joyce murder. Yes, he was in Athens. Um, I don't know whether they met in, in Greece originally, but he had been spending some time in Greece. Uh, Ju- the baby, Miranda, was conceived. Judith never told him because she's like, he's sketchy. Um, mm-hmm. And then they, and then she came back and just raised her by herself. Yeah. So... The TV movie, not much different, honestly. Okay. Um, <clears throat> a few differences, like I mentioned, they meet Garfield. Uh, Poirot meets him on the train into town. He's a part of the story all throughout. He Garfield does not kill himself at the end. Oh, okay. So when, this is probably the biggest change. When Poirot is doing the how I figured it out and telling the story part of his story... An arrested, handcuffed Garfield is just outside the door, and Rowena is still trying to save face because she's in front of her adult kids, who I don't think are in the book. She has no children she has in the book. Two adult children in the movie. Um, I'm trying to remember, but yeah, she she definitely doesn't have any children. Uh, any small children? I don't believe she has any adult children. I think it's just her. Yeah. So anyway. She's in there with her adult kids, who are rich bastards. Of course. Um, and uh, the butlers. And he's telling the story. She's trying to save face. She's denying everything. And then he brings in Garfield. And Garfield's like, nah, I never loved you. You would have been next. I was going to take the money. I was going to buy myself an island off the coast of Greece. And then he looks at his daughter... And her mom is, like, hiding her and protecting her. And Poirot figured out that he was her real father because they told a story about how her father was a pilot who died in the war. But he's looking around their house where he's staying. And it's just pictures of Judith and Miranda. There's no pictures of a father. Yeah. And that's what clues him in. He Um, realizes in the book because when... When he sees the sketch that Garfield is doing, he recognizes that they're very similar looking because they're. Mm. He has this whole monologue, like inner monologue, when he sees Michael Garfield for the first time, where he's like, "You don't call men beautiful, but he's beautiful," and he's like, "I wouldn't like to be that. Like, I like what I am. The only thing I'm proud of is my mustache." <laughs> um, That's why I shaved it off after <laughs> to cover the scars. Um, so he, he realizes it because he recognizes that they both have the same type of beauty. Her mother is also described as being very beautiful, but they keep making references to, uh, they keep calling her Ondine, which is a water sprite. Ah. Uh, he and, and Mrs. Oliver keep calling her a water sprite. But it, there's the same thing where she concocted the fake story about the, the dead pilot father, and yeah. that was basically just to save face. Yeah, the TV movie definitely cut all of the Greek references out. There was none of that. It was more cut and dry. 
just down to the bare bones of the plot, which you gotta do when you're cutting it down to a 90 minute. They cut out the pretension. Good. Yeah, I actually enjoyed this one a lot. I, I liked it more than the Murder on the Orient Express one uh, with Suchet. Um, the cast, even though it wasn't like uh, like Barbara Hershey and Jessica Chastain, you know, or and Toby, I said Toby Mac, <laughs> that ain't it. Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Yes. Um, the cast wasn't like names like Murder was. The cast was good here. Like I, I appreciated they. It was it was TV. Yeah. No one was winning an Oscar for it, and the. Like I, I mentioned before, the garden was just like funny cut hedges, <laughs> and most of the things happen in the garden or in like one of the houses. Like it was very TV, but it still it still told the story pretty well. I thought um, didn't have to change much. Did the book include? The organist fucking the school teacher who died? The lesbian couple? No. That... There is an offhand remark about how she... The woman who is still alive, uh, who is also... They're both teachers. Okay, um, she was the organist, the church organist in this. She, what was her name? She may also have been both. Um, she... Whitaker. Elizabeth Whitaker. Yes. It is, it is heavily, again, it is heavily implied that she may be a lesbian, um, whether or not the other woman was. It makes me think of uh, the Lillian Hellman play, uh, Children's Hour. Gotcha. Yeah, it was a bit more explicit in the movie. Okay. Like, it's actually Whitaker who finds Leopold's body, because she finds his body in the same place they found, um, I had her name, Beatrice White's body. Uh, her name, White is this, her name is different in the book. White is still her last name, but her name is like Janet White or something. Okay. Too many J names in this. Like, uh, like, it's like a clue. This feels like Clue. Yeah. Like, Rowena Drake in the study with the Snapdragon. Like that, that murder, because she was one of the three that good body told Poirot about, one of the three mysterious deaths. Yeah. Uh, that could have been murders related. Um, but hers was actually not, it was a suicide and Whitaker kept the suicide note secret so that she wouldn't be buried in an unmarked grave. Oh, no, she... And it was very, very explicit that they had a romantic relationship and they didn't like how the world was looking at them. It's implied that she was killed by a man because uh, I believe she's strangled in the book. Oh. Um, and I don't know... That's one that's not... You don't come back to it. But I can definitely see where you would pick... Excuse me, where you would pick up those threads? Yeah, it was it was a nice little touch. It was a nice red herring for yeah. me watching it. Because one of the deaths it's, had it's, to be, and all the other ones were tied to it. Because when you were about halfway through the book, you told me, I think it's the Drakes. Yeah. Um, And you were spot on. And it's pretty easy to come to that conclusion watching the movie as well. But having that red herring there, it's like, okay, I can see how Llewellyn Smith was related to... This how how why she would kill her. I could see why she would kill uh, Leslie Ferrier, because yes. um, it was about the forgery. Yes, um, he's the one who made the forgery, but also the original uh, was on his uh, possessions when he was found dead. Oh, it was in a picture frame in the movie. In the book, it is hidden in a different book. Uh, in an envelope, and we are led to believe that it was found and destroyed or otherwise kept hidden by Rowena Drake. Yes. 
Um, but anyway, like I was saying, like it's nice having that third one there. Like, how does she come into play? And she doesn't. This just there is a good reason for her death to be mysterious. Yes. But it's not the reason you think. And this was actually something Agatha Christie was kind of leaning on. You said there was one offhand reference that she was a lesbian. Yes. That the use of that word was not common when that book was written in 1969. I don't believe they even said lesbian. I believe they referred to, um, I think they implied that maybe they were lovers. The the bit I wrote down was the novel reflects in many respects its time of publication at the end of the permissive 60s, but nowhere more so than when a character uses the word lesbian in chapter 15. <laughs> oh, so, so I guess they did actually use the word lesbian. <laughs> so I'll cite my sources here, Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to it on audiobooks, so... But, and, and the thing is, it's 2023. Yeah. We hear that word 45 times a day, just a normal conversation, yes. because it's... A normal part of life now, as it should be. Yes. But in the late 60s, it really wasn't. It was still pretty risque. Yeah. So. Having, sidebar, I just listened to uh, a different book called Bad Gays, A Homosexual History. Ooh. Uh, and it talks about the importance of not putting modern day understandings of sexuality and gender onto historical figures. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can understand that in the context here of maybe homosexuality was barely becoming the recognized term. Like, it was still... I can't remember off the top of my head what it was called, but it was still referred to as something different at that time. Homosexuality was still, like, not in common usage. It was still a psychiatric disorder. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) if you ask my mother's pastor, it still is a psychiatric disorder. Oh, I just thought it was the devil. Oh, yeah, well, who makes people sick? It's the devil. If you're sick, it's because you're sinning. (laughs) eye rolling to eternity oh yes um another thing that was different uh you said that drake's husband was run over by a car yes they show garfield driving the car (laughs) (laughs) like he hits him and he smiles (laughs) he's like get in bitch we're going shopping like it's so fucking funny shouldn't be but it, it, it is it's yeah it's like all the details that they have about the accident that because Poirot asks Rowena Drake about it and she's like oh yeah it was definitely an accident the car was like one of the most common models on the on uh, the road at the time and they just kept driving and it was like found that it was stolen from a car park in London and they abandoned it later I'm like okay so everything adds up to it being super common and yet your husband was the victim yeah, they, they blame it on rowdy teens. Yep. There's a lot of that in this. There is a lot of, like, rowdy teens yeah. and psychology bashing in this book. Um, so we don't have the the cop character that you had in the novel. Yes. But he does go to the local inspector, and he's like, what are you doing about this? And the inspector's like, oh, we're pretty sure it was just, like, a vagrant. It was just a local local nutcase. And then another body turns up, and the inspector's there, and he's like, oh, you found your vagrant yet? <laughs> <laughs> like Christy herself was like fuck the police private detectives yes no like everyone everyone that he talks to is like yeah you've got all these crazy people running and I'm I'm using crazy in the sense that they would I'm I'm using it in a pejorative way in the way that they would have I do not personally think that the term crazy is pejorative I am not trying to offend anyone quote yes <laughs> uh, quote crazy unquote people are running around um, 
and they're committing these crimes and they're doing these murders and no one's doing anything about it and there's nothing you can do because even if you catch them, they just get put in the asylum and released immediately. Mm-hmm. Which actually brings me to something. Is there, is Poirot's arc in this kind of the pursuit of truth and justice versus beauty? No. It's interesting you say that, though, because beauty comes up. Um, the attempt at Miranda's life, she's not sacrificing herself for, what did you say in the book? Uh, for Joyce, because for she Joyce. was the one who saw the actual murder of Olga. He convinces her that she's sacrificing herself for the beauty of the garden. It's also where Olga is buried. She's buried in the garden. Ah. Um, but no, Poirot's arc is, it's Halloween, obvs, and... He's listening to a scary story on the radio, and he has whoever he's with turn it off. And he says, in Belgium, we don't tell scary stories. We don't joke about this kind of thing. We light candles in memory of the dead. And at the end of it, he tells his story. He tells the story of how he thinks the murder came to be. With the start of it was a dark and stormy night and everything. And then at the end of it, when the police are dragging Rowena out and Garfield out, and Miranda's whole life is fucked... (laughs) Um, completely flipped, turned upside down. He repeats that, that I prefer lighting candles for the dead. So that's his arc here. So... I prefer that to the Catholic guilt of murder on the Orient Express. It's interesting that you bring that up, because his arc in that movie was, I pursue truth over, like, my goal is always truth. That is what I'm always looking for, and I can't tell the truth in this instance, and it's killing me, right? Yeah. His arc is kind of the same in the book here, because he's like, I am am in pursuit of truth and justice. Justice isn't going to... He's like, I don't think that mercy has any place in the court system, because I don't think that mercy is going to help Leopold or Joyce. But I think that justice... While it will also not help Joyce and Leopold, it will help the next victim. Yeah. And it will it will provide some closure to the family as well. Like I I see his point there. Yeah. But it's just, it's so fascinating because I'm like, you fucking hypocrite. When it's a rich person that does it, you don't care. Yeah, because murder on the Orient Express happens like the next week on ITV as I watched it. You know, it's it's literally the next episode in line. Yeah. Which but, also, so that's why I think it's kind of interesting. Although the 2017 Murder on the Orient Express cared more about that perfection and law and order. Oh, no, no, no. No, the, the Suchet one did as well. Yeah. He did have a couple speeches about it. You're right. But it's, it's very interesting. I do appreciate the, the TV pairing um, Halloween Party and Murder on the I Orient Express because they do have that same arc. Or it feels like they can explore that same arc of he couldn't get justice in this case, and now he has another one where he's actively choosing not to. It's like two sides of the same coin. With, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which also reminds me, that is three for three on Agatha Christie, where the murders are planned by hyper-competent women. Girl power. <laughs> like, okay. we got Second wave feminism hadn't happened yet. <laughs> I support women's rights and women's wrongs. Um, <laughs> God damn it. Where's the nearest pig farm? <laughs> uh, which one? There's three within 40 miles. Not that I know exactly where they are. Um, so, <laughs> so uh, I can't fit your body in my trunk. Don't worry. <laughs> no, but you can fit it in mine. So, 
You've got, in Death on the Nile, you've got uh, Lynette Doyle, who is murdered by her best friend, who's in love with a guy. And the guy is the useless one who ruins everything, but the woman plans it and gets, and it, the murder itself is done without a hitch. Except for Poirot being within the vicinity. Correct. Uh, and then you've got Murder on the Orient Express, which is, again, the old lady, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, God, she was so good, though. You've got her planning this, planning and orchestrating this massively complex, multi-country, multinational murder. And she does it so well because she doesn't have men help her that she actually gets away with it. Correct. Even well, though Poirot figures it out. She does have men help her. But they, are... they follow her lead and they don't fuck it up. This is true. Uh, there are men involved in the murder. Yes. And then you've got this one, which is, again, a hyper-competent, middle-aged woman just like, mm, you know what? This bitch needs to die because she knows. She might know something. I want my aunt's money. She's not giving it to the Ruski. <laughs> Everyone who knows will die mysteriously, and it's a small town, and no one will notice. You know what's fascinating is that over and over again, everyone says that Joyce is a liar. And yet, when Rowena Drake hears her say, I saw a murder, she immediately is like, nope, fuck, this bitch gotta die. You couldn't just rely on the fact that everyone thinks Joyce is a liar? You gave yourself away by murdering her. You would have been fine if you hadn't murdered her. You would have gotten away with it. Yep. Yep, because Joyce didn't know the details. Exactly. Joyce didn't know any of the details. And also, everyone thought she was a liar. And Poirot himself is so pissed off that even he believed her at one point. At the end, he's like, everyone said she's a liar. But she was sharing secrets with one person. That's the thing. That's probably who saw the murder. That's the thing in the book. He's like... I had to I had to believe that she was a liar because everyone made it clear to me. So I had to think where could she have gotten this lie from? Exactly. Do they have the example of like her uncle or whoever went to India? And she and said she started she went saying with she him. went to India and she yes. shot tigers and Yes. <laughs> and spent time with the Raja. Yes. And that's actually it's kind of sad like sweet and sad in a way because it's like that's why Miranda told her about the murder because she wanted to be worthy of Joyce's stories. Mm-hmm. So she said, I did this or I saw this cool thing and cool, I mean terrible thing once. But when you're a kid, it's interesting, because not every kid sees a murder. Yeah. Um, Although, I don't know, in England, back in the day, <laughs> it you're probably... It seems like everyone keeps seeing murders in this small town. <laughs> Alright, I want to tell you about some of this cast. Okay, tell Specifically, me about Specifically, one member, but I'll get to him. Um, the vast majority of this cast was just British TV stables. Okay. Right. Uh, the director was Charlie Palmer. He did a lot of British TV, including some episodes of Doctor Who. Of course. Writer was Mark Gaddis. He did a lot of British TV, including some episodes of Sherlock. Perfect fit. Okay. Um, Hercule Poirot, as I said, David Suchet. Um, he did some bigger movies. He was in The Falcon and the Snowman, which uh, I did scenes from in that acting class I took. Oh, I was immediately thinking of Harry Hole. That's the snowman. <laughs> Different. Uh, Different. You didn't save her, Mr. Policeman. I gave you all the clues. God, what a shitty movie that is. I, I think that's based on a book. It is based on a book. Um, David Suchet is also in the new uh, His Dark Materials run. I think he's a voice of... One of the daemons? I, I believe so. I'm not sure okay. I can write it down. Um, Judith Butler was played by Amelia Bulmore, who was in Sherlock, The It Crowd, Alan Partridge. 
Ariadne Oliver was played by Zoe Wanamaker. Okay. You might recognize that name. I do. She's Madam Hooch in the yeah. first Harry Potter. Um, Rowena Drake was Deborah Finley. She did British TV like Torchwood. Um, Mrs. Reynolds was uh, Sophie Thompson, who you may re- remember as Mafalda Hopkirk in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. That is such a specific... <laughs> she was also in Four Weddings and a Funeral. Um, funny story about her. Um, She's got a famous sister? Her famous sister is Emma Thompson. <laughs> and her mom played uh, Llewellyn Smith. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I am honestly surprised that Emma... I don't think Emma Thompson has popped up in anything we've done so far. I don't think and so I either. And I feel like she does a lot of... Well, we know she's not going to pop up in any of the modern-day remakes. Nope. <laughs> um, Francis Drake and Edmund Drake were played by Georgia King and Ian Hallard. They were not in your book, so I don't care. <laughs> um, this one I thought was funny. Elizabeth Whitaker was played by Felina Woolgar, who was in an episode of Doctor Who as Agatha Christie. <laughs> That's... Is that a cameo? Can you call that a cameo? I don't know what you can call that. <laughs> I call it interesting. That's charming. But my favorite, and he's probably the biggest actor that was in this, was Michael Garfield. Julian Rintut. You're, you're thinking. Uh, he was in actual Hollywood movies like Lucy and Your Highness. I know him. He played Mac in Green Wing. But you know him from a movie we did on this pod. Oh, no. Quartus himself. From Stardust. Oh my god. <laughs> the one that appears just to be murdered. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. But also, when we're talking about a man who is constantly being described as attractive, let me show you a picture of this man. I feel like he's very whatever. He is weirdly handsome. He... Those are not great pictures. No, no, I see it. It's the it's the jawline. It's a very He's... square. He something about him, especially in this. I wouldn't call him handsome per se, but I couldn't take my eyes off him. He had like an electric charisma to him. So, and that's probably why he was in a lot of bigger movies and not just British TV, right? Probably. So bear with me. This is gonna sound like an aside. When you know a lot about the Beatles, sure. What? Only got four or five books within reach on the subject. <laughs> so they were already like on the downswing in '69, right? Like, yes, had, they had broke John up in... already died. No, he died in like '80. Oh, okay. Or '81, I can't remember. Um, no, '69 was their last full year. They broke up in 1970. So were they still very like? Big... Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, Agatha Christie had some opinions about the Beatles. Oh my god. She did not... She did not name drop them, obviously. Uh, She didn't want to get shot. (laughs) But she talks about... Uh, skinny boys with tight pants and fluffy mops of hair. And crooner voices that are loud and aggressive. In fairness, that could have been the Rolling Stones. Fair. It could also have been Ro- that, the Rolling Stones. That, that, at that time, that feels more Mick Jagger than, like, George Harrison, you know? Okay, she said specifically, like, pop stars. But, yeah. Which made me think Beatles. 
it's a pastiche of yeah the so, rock at the time. It's like the Who and like all those bands were. Yeah, and basically, like she's she that is the, her pastiche is that's what she's talking about all the hooligans. Ah, okay. She's like these are what girls want now. Like mod kids. Exactly. Yeah, she's like, yeah, these yeah. are what girls want now, and no one is. But then also you have Michael Garfield, who's like the quiet, sensitive type. He's also Poirot also <laughs> compares him to fucking Orpheus. Like, come on, Agatha. Shit. We're an hour into this podcast. I haven't played a trailer yet. Oh, no. Which trailer are you going to play? So I don't know if you know this. As we record this on Wednesday, the 13th of September, that this Friday, uh, this past Friday, as you listen, our good friend, Kenneth Branagh, is adapting this book. What? I haven't seen anything for Halloween Party. Yeah, that's because it's for some reason taking place in fucking Venice. Why the fuck is it called The Haunting in Venice, Ken? Ken. 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 I have some questions, Ken. Ken. What the fuck, Ken? Ken. What? Ken. Kenneth. Ken. My buddy. Nothing about this entire... At any point did we mention either a haunting or the city of Venice. How are you going to take this story that inextricably takes place in Woodley Common. So, <laughs> I here's my theory. You know how Adam Sandler likes to grab his buddies and make movies where they go to Africa or Hawaii or some other exotic locale and they film a movie and have a vacation at the same time and they all get paid and it's on the studio dime? I think Ken... Just like his Hercule Poirot likes to read Dickens and chuckle. On Friday nights, he lays back in bed, turns on Netflix, throws on shitty movies like Blended, and goes, you know what? Adam's got a good idea here. I want to see Venice before global warming sinks it to the bottom of the sea. Let's get the studio to send me and my friends to Venice. Okay, hear me out. I have an alternative theory. Okay. He massively misunderstood the importance of water to this plot. Oh my god. <laughs> Does a child get thrown into a canal? I am I am trembling in anticipation, not necessarily good anticipation, for how he is going to fuck this up. So we were taking a walk the other day, and in our neighborhood is a very large LED billboard that we see on our walks. And it's working for once. For once. And they had on there the billboard for A Haunting in Venice. And there were five actors' faces going across that billboard. Mm-hmm. Right in the middle was old Kenny Branagh. Yes. He plays Hercule Poirot. Obviously. Off to one side was Michelle Yeoh. She, I assume... My guess is she's playing Mrs. Oliver. She plays Joyce... Wait. She plays Joyce Reynolds. You know the little girl who gets murdered? That lovely child? This makes me so sad. She's being played by a 61-year-old woman. 
This makes me so sad because it means that Michelle Yeoh is going to be in this movie for approximately 15 minutes, and that's the only reason I want to see it. Who knows? Maybe she'll survive. (laughs) Also on that poster, Tina Fey as Ariadne Oliver. Oh, no, I don't want a whole movie of Tina. Too bad you're getting Tina. Also on that poster, Jamie Dornan. That woman was Jamie Dornan? (laughs) That man? I thought it was a woman. The man with the beard that you were like, he looks familiar? Oh, I thought it was the first one. No, 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 no. He looks like Henry Cavill. Okay. Yeah, the uh, Jamie Dorton as Dr. Leslie Ferrier. You know the character who's dead throughout the entire plot of the movie? Is that, are we just going to be haunted? The haunting is the bad decisions that were made in the casting of this movie. I have so many fucking questions. I have so many questions. The haunting is the friendship we made along the way. Oh, oh, we don't make friends with these people. Kenneth Branagh is not a friend. The haunting is his recurrence in our lives. But but Michelle Yeoh at the height of her MILF powers. Watch this not even take place in Italy. Watch it take place at Venice Beach. (laughs) Again, nah. I... I have taken psychic damage before we have even... Do you understand why I read that and got viscerally angry? Yes. I didn't even realize... I read Joyce Reynolds as Mrs. Reynolds, too. It was now I realized she plays the child who gets murdered. I am suddenly 100% less excited to see this movie knowing that Michelle Yeoh dies. I'm almost more excited to see this movie. So we're going to go see this movie. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, For us, it's in about two days. For you, the audience, it's in about two minutes. So you're going to hear a trailer for this movie. And when the trailer's over, our lives will have been changed completely and irrevocably. Did I pronounce that right? Irrevocably. (laughs) You've already broken me, Ken. You've already broken me. Here's a fucking trailer. Hercule Poirot, I've found something. I've looked at it from every which way. I am the smartest person I ever met, and I can't figure it out, so I came to the second. You are up to something, my friend. I've seen a million of these so-called psychics, each one a fake. I do not believe in psychics. Come with me to a seance. Spot the con I can't. Detective, you are here to discredit me, but I can talk to the dead. All I have to hear my daughter's voice. If someone wants to be heard, we are here. Listening. Mama? Felicia? What is happening? Somebody is dead. No one shall leave this place until I know who did it. A ghost killed her. There must be a rational answer for all of this. Just admit that you are up against something bigger than you. No!
saying. Something in this house tried to kill me. Don't look at me like I'm a suspect. We're old friends. Every murderer is somebody's old friend. No one shall leave until I find if the living have been killed by the dead. You have been hiding here all this time. Who are you talking to? From here on, there will be spoilers for A Haunting in Venice, which is still in theaters. If you are asking yourself, why are you telling me about the spoilers now, an hour into the episode? It's because we didn't spoil any of this movie yet. Yeah, sure. We are definitely spoiling this movie and no part of any previous movie or book. Except for the fact that there's a person named Joyce Reynolds and she gets murdered. Uh, based on Halloween Party. Is putting a lot of... Based is a load-bearing word. So we just got out of the theater maybe an hour ago. Um, Saw this movie. And we have some thoughts about how... uh, Maybe not how... Brana adapted Halloween Party. More why, I think, is the big question that we have. Like, we are making jokes, of course, because it's Brana. But genuinely, why this book? Why did he choose this story to adapt? He changed so much of the fundamental underlying story. Like, it would almost be easier and quicker to say what he kept the same. So, a lot of the character names are turned over. I guess, so it's Halloween. Joyce Reynolds is killed at a party. Uh Because Rowena Drake thinks she knows that she murdered somebody. Yes. Bobbing for apples happens. Um, Farrier is stabbed with a knife in the back. Yeah. Olga cared for, cared, <laughs> Olga cared for a relative of Rowena's who is dead under mysterious circumstances. There, there's a, a forged <laughs> cortisol. Codicil. Codicil? Codicil. Bro, I'd never heard that word before this fucking movie. It is not forged. The one in this movie? Correct. It is not forged. Oh, but there's there's a codicil leaving a family wealth to not the family. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with the murder. That's like the post-text. Yes. So, I guess what we want to know, what we want to talk about, why Halloween Party? Because what Brana is doing, this is the third in his Poirot trilogy. The past two, we just talked last week about Murder on the Orient Express, and the character arc for Poirot was learning that perfection isn't necessarily possible, and there's a difference between black and white. Sometimes there's areas of gray, right? Yep. For Death on the Nile, 
it was learning to live with his own imperfections, you know, shaving the mustache off at the end. What the fuck was he trying to say with this one? I mean, the joke answer that I want to make is uh, death comes for all of us and mortality is creeping in. Um, but I think the actual answer is what he says at the end of the movie to to uh, Ariadne, which is we can't run from our ghosts. Okay. So I was under the impression that he ran from his ghosts, or not ran from his ghosts, but came to terms with his ghosts at the end of Death on the Nile when he famously removed the mustache and revealed his scars. Also, wasn't he dating that lady? (laughs) Yeah, what happened to her? He was seeing the jazz singer, who should have been dead but survived, speaking of should have been dead but survived, all of the characters in this fucking movie. Yeah, so... First of all, he loves him a doting mother that commits murder. In fairness, so did Christy. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I wouldn't she pin that on She was not a mother in Christie's. Rowena Drake did not have any children in Christie's book. Oh my god, you're right. <laughs> she, she did in the other one. Yes. She did in the TV movie. Yes. But I mean, um, Hubbard in Murder on the Orient Express was a mother. Exactly. So Brianna loves him a doting mother. No, 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 that's Christie's character. Or, sorry, a doting woman. A doting woman, yes. Yes. That's that's also a Christie thing, I think. As from the three that we've consumed yeah. at this point. Uh, and again, this is three for three on hyper-competent, hyper-competent woman organizes a murder. <laughs> Multiple murders. <laughs> She's just not quite as successful in this one. She's not... There's still three bodies carted out. Yeah, but she dies at the end. Oh yeah, she does die at the end of this one. Um, so... Also, are all of the deaths as brutal as fucking Joyce Richard, or Joyce Reynolds in this one? Hers was fucking savage. Hers was vicious. Okay, so... We've, we've beaten around the bush enough here. Here's, mm-hmm. here's what happens at a haunting in Venice. First of all, takes place in fucking Venice. Her Where Poirot has sealed himself up in a house with he, a police bodyguard. He's had his Dark Knight Rises moment. He's too old for this shit. He's got his bodyguard. Everyone knows where he lives. There's a line outside his door every morning to... Wait, I'm so sorry. Is this tying into him not being able to tell the police so he's like, I'm all washed up at no, the end of... because Death on the Nile happened after that. Oh, you're right. Okay, yeah, we sorry. did them in the wrong order. Ah, that yes. would make more... It would make so much more sense if his Death on the Nile never happened here. Because this movie called back to his murder Although, multiple ways. Was he sad about the deaths in... About about Lynette's... Not Lynette. Um, the other one. The, the murderers. In... In Death on, a Ni- on the Nile. Was it? In the book, he was sad about the loss of their lives. I believe so, but my dude, it has been months, and I watch a lot of movies. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to say, maybe that, like, that is the barest margin that I can think of, but I'm sorry, go ahead and, and um, continue your okay. summary. So, he's no longer taking cases, try as, try as he might. Uh, he's hired a bodyguard to protect him from people who want cases, and this dude is so good, he even throws a dude off a bridge into a canal to protect <laughs> him. very funny. Fucking hilarious, actually. Love that bit. Um, but who should get through to him but old uh, friend, admirer... Uh, he doesn't an- have friends. Anime rival... <laughs> Ariadne Oliver. Yes. 
Um, she invites him to the uh, pseudo titular Halloween party, being hosted by Rowena Drake in her fucking palazzo, haunted palazzo, her haunted palazzo in Venice. Um, she invites all the orphan children there, and they get a scary puppet show, which I will need to ask Kevin Perjurer if he's seen this, because <laughs> he has a huge defunct land for people who don't know. Um, he has a huge uh, thing he's doing right now with uh, shadow puppets, and there's a shadow puppet scene in here that just did not seem possible. So, I I did actually want to say, do you know what it actually reminded me of, even though Ken Branagh wasn't in that movie? What? The three, the story of the three brothers, the animation of the three brothers in oh, Harry in, Potter. Oh, in the movie that shall not be named part seven, part two? <laughs> yes. Yes. It, yeah. It, I mean, it, it wasn't like a unique style even then. It's... Yeah, I just, it, that was, because of course Ken Branagh in my head is connected to that series of movies, even if he wasn't in that particular movie. But we digress. I know yeah. he might have been in the credits, because they like credited everybody. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. Yes. Um... So after the party, uh, they are going to have a seance. And this woman, and I say woman, named Joyce Reynolds, appears, played by Michelle Yeoh. Why are they having the seance? Fucking queen. Um, they're having the seance because Rowena's daughter died a year prior, committing suicide, throwing herself into the canal. But also secretly, Ariadne Oliver and his bodyguard, who happened to... Shut the fuck up, Siri. <laughs> Ariadne and his bodyguard, who happened to have been the cop on duty the day of, uh, oh, fuck, what was her daughter's name? Alicia. Alicia. Alicia's death, uh, cons- uh, conspired to bring Poirot into this seance to trick him, to, to make him fooled by this medium who appears to be legitimate. Yeah. He sees through the ruse fucking... Immediately. Immediately. Like, he catches her accomplice in the chimney because he picked the lock on the door and left a footprint in the fucking soot under the chimney in a room that apparently hadn't been touched in a year. Yep. He had a radio device that would make a keyboard clack letters and shit. Um, so he figures the fucking seance out. Everyone disperses on their own, getting ready to leave and whatnot. Joyce tells him... Hey, you might need to live a little. Death follows us everywhere we go. Find some joy in life. So he walks by an apple bobbing station, which is a like professional like <laughs> street carnival apple bobbing station. So sorry, there's two important pieces of context that we're missing here. First, oh. this palazzo is hella haunted. Oh um, yeah, the sorry, the shadow puppet story, yes. Yes. Do you want to tell it or? Yes, I will tell it. Uh, Quickly, the Shadow Puppet story, which someone in the... Hercule Poirot actually points out, this is kind of a fucked up story to tell children. Oh, it is fucked up. It is about how doctors during the plague locked orphans in this palazzo because it used to be an orphanage and it became a hospital uh, for during the plague. And so they locked these sick children in this orphanage to die alone. And now the children's ghosts haunt the hospital the former orphanage hospital and now murder doctors and nurses that live there or visit. Yes. And uh, they uh, discover this is 100% true when they find remains in the hidden secret basement. Uh, Second piece of context is that when when Joyce Reynolds is telling him uh, that he should experience fun and joy in his life, she actually dresses him in her costume, which is important. Yes, that is important. You're correct. 
Um, so he walks by this professional street fair apple bobbing station and goes, eh, I'll have an apple apple chalky chalky. <laughs> Which glossed over the chalky chalky line. I wanted I wanted it to hold on that a little bit more. He was having pastries <laughs> twice a day. That's the, the only person who would get let through is the pastry man. Um, so he goes to Bob Apples, and then somebody behind him starts holding his head under the water. Yes. And then he goes limp. Um, the assassin Rowena, obviously. Yes. Uh, scurries. Somebody comes in and grabs him, resuscitates him back to health. We were so excited. We thought, oh my god, they killed Poirot. And I was like, is this going to be Ariadne solving the murder? Because I'm here for it. If you're going <laughs> to fucking change it, change it like that. But, um, meanwhile, uh, Rowena's running up to Joyce and pushes her off a balcony where she lands, uh, on the raised arm of a marble statue. So she gets pierced on it. Actually, an incredible shot of you see it happening in shadow. It's so good. And you Which I just it. realized is a callback to the shadow puppet. Yes, it is. And also, who the squelching noise, whoever did Foley on this movie, mm. incredible. So, the, I understand we sound very negative about our review of the movie so far. The production team, sound lighting, editing, production design, my god, well done. Fucking brilliant work across the board on that front. Yes. So, murder is afoot. Poirot calls the cops, locks the door, says Poirot is on the case. Oh, no, no. Poirot doesn't call the cops. Oh, sorry. His bodyguard calls the cops on the secret phone that he had no way of knowing about. Because he lied and said he had never been there before, which is what Poirot, which is how Poirot realizes Ariadne and the cop are in leagues. Yes. So Poirot does his Poirot shit, where he sits everybody down and interviews them. Um, there are some characters present that should not be present. Like I said before, uh, Leslie Ferrier, who was the, um, the lawyer's assistant... In the book, or in the movie at least, that I watched. Yes, he was um, a lawyer's assistant in the book. Who was dead before the book. Yes. He is a doctor who was treating Alicia. Alicia. I can never remember. I keep wanting to say Lucia. Yes. Because it's Alicia, but they yes. just pronounce it like idiots. Yes. The Italians. Um, <laughs> no one in this movie is Italian except the cop. Olga Smirnoff. Close enough. Um, is alive. She survives the whole movie. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get found in a garden. There is a garden on the roof, which comes into play. Yes. Um, she was bedside for Alicia. Yes. While she was getting sicker and sicker, going going mad, as they were saying, before her, quote, suicide. Yes. Um, so through his normal interrogations and numerous scenes of him being, feeling haunted and seeing ghosts and hearing things and hallucinating and whatnot, he figures out the truth. And what had happened was uh, Alicia and the Michael Maxime. Garfield, Maxime. Yes, he, he was, was a chef. He was a chef, not a gardener, and he also was not part of the fucking thing. Um, Maxime and Alicia were together. They had a quarrel. She moved back home, and then they were going to get back together. But Rowena, who was a, an opera diva, a soprano. A soprano. Uh, she couldn't live without her daughter. She was jealous of him. And she basically munchausened her daughter by yes. feeding her poisonous honey. Yes. They used to make... They had bees and wildflowers. Or was yes, it wildflowers? Yes, it was a wildflower garden that was their special place on the roof. Because there was a specific flower they named. 
It was Wildflowers first. And it was, then, no, it was Wildflowers first. It, I thought it was a specific... Anyway. It was. And then what okay. happened is when when her daughter got engaged, Rowena lost her mind, destroyed the garden, came back with a poisonous flower from Turkey. It's a specific variety of yes. rhododendron. I don't remember the Latin name. Yeah, so they used to make wildflower honey together. She swapped out the flowers, made poison honey, and she was feeding her a spoonful of this poison honey in the tea every night mm-hmm. to make her go crazy. Yes. And to keep her home. And one night she takes a night off and Olga does two spoonfuls, which is a little too much, kills her off. Yes, because she was already weak. Now, this honey was hidden in a linen closet, which is where Ariadne finds it. Yes. After Poirot's near-death experience, gives him some of that honey in the tea. And that's why he's having hallucinations and feeling weak all night as he's trying to solve this murder. Leslie Ferrier, at one point, gets in a fight with Maxime, and he's also kind of losing it. So he goes, uh, he gets locked alone in the music room where Rowena calls him from another phone line in the house. Like the, the phones are dead, but they can still call internally because this is a fancy house. Yes. So she you gotta calls, be able to talk to your servants. She calls him from another room. The reason she's doing all this is because somebody's been blackmailing her. Yes. Somebody knows that she killed her own daughter. She thinks it's either this psychic who's coming out of the blue, which we know is just Ariadne and the bodyguard. Yes. It was their decision. Um, or the doctor, because he was a doctor. He was a war doctor, so he's suffering from PTSD. Yes. So he no we'll longer practices. We'll talk pra- about his backstory later. So he no longer practices, but he uh, did work for her as a favor, because he was their old family doctor. And he's in love with her, which, who I can't remember her name, but the actress that plays her is smoking hot. Oh, uh, Rowena? Yes. Yeah, smoke show. So she calls him from the other room, says, I know you're blackmailing me. I will kill your son, unless you do exactly as I say. And what she tells him to do is pull a knife out of a scabbard in uh, on a statue in there, press it up against the back... Uh, press the hilt of it against a wall and his back to the point and back into it to yes. kill himself. And he and does. Who is his son, Bill? His son is fucking little shithead Leopold, who is the one who was blackmailing her the whole time because he figured it out and he doesn't get to die. He is clearly the baby, the baby Poirot analog. He's the one who is going to become the new Poirot. He is way less hateable in this than he was in that other one I watched. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that they kept that element of blackmail. Like yes. there are still so many elements from Halloween Party that made its way into this version they also, of the story. Yeah, they also. Sorry, quick aside. They also kept the element of children doing something and not realizing what the context was going, or not realize what the consequences of their actions were going to be. In this case, Leopold blackmailing, um, blackmailing, blackmailing Rowena ended up with two people getting murdered, and yep. one of whom is his beloved father, who he was blackmailing so he could support. Yes. Um, but luckily it wasn't in vain. That money goes to good things because, uh, Joyce Reynolds had two assistants. Yes. Who are a pair of siblings, half siblings from Hungary who escaped Hungary yes. on forged passports. Yes. Past, pass, pass. So I've had a handful of weed and a couple alcoholic beverages here. Uh, they escape Hungary on forged passports. Mm-hmm. They start working for Joyce saving what they can to move to Missouri because during the war they acquired, I think they acquired an army sheet and a half 
a real... They were rescued by the army. They were rescued by the army. army. They stayed with the army. I wasn't sure if they just, like, acquired their stuff while they were passing through. Regardless, every night for a month, they would watch the first half of the movie Meet Me in St. Louis. So their dream is to move to fucking Missouri. Yep. (laughs) Which, uh... Oh, Sorry. That was also something that we shot, pr- probably should have pointed out. The book takes place in 1969. The movie takes yeah. place in 1947. Yeah, it's like just post-war. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's a fucking choice. No, You know what the choice is? I want to do this story, but I also want to play Poirot more in the future, and I don't want to do one of his late-in-life mysteries. Even though this is a late-in-life mystery. And he treats it like a late-in-life mystery, because he's already retired at the start of this. Anyway, the Hungarian refugees get gifted some of the money from Leopold, because all he's been using for it was to pay bills. Um, He will buy them passes to go to America, basically. Yeah. As he goes to live with the surviving Olga Smirnoff. Which you pointed out at the time, and I also appreciated uh, your your pointing out of this. The two characters that survived the movie that definitely died in the book were Olga and Leopold, and they are ending it happily <laughs> they together. They get coupled off and <laughs> shipped away. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's basically the gist of it. I don't think I missed anything important. Um, the codicil comes back. Oh, um... With the, one of the guys who wanted to hire him. So when Rowena uh, is revealed, when Poirot explains that she's the one that has committed all of the murders, either directly or indirectly through suggestion, um, she runs up the tower, the same tower that her daughter jumped off of. Uh, really, her daughter's heart stopped and she threw her body... She gave her the mark of the children. Oh, yeah, she had a, a gardening trowel that she would mark. Um, and the whole thing with... Uh, Joyce and Ferrier being murdered is Joyce was a nurse during the war and Ferrier was a doctor and it's the children's revenge against the nurses and doctors that trapped them there. Yes. That's the, that's the haunting. Yes. Um, so she runs up the same balcony that she threw her daughter's body off of to avoid her murder being detected and... Her daughter's ghost maybe pulls her, maybe Poirot is hallucinating, but she falls to her death in the water, and also her daughter's ghost maybe pulls her down into the canal. Yeah, but also unreliable narrator, because he's he's had his poison, honey. <laughs> could He could just be hallucinating all this shit. Yep. He, fuck it. Jacob's Ladder scenario. He died in the fucking apple bob, and these are all just... <laughs> His his brainwaves flashing his in his last moments of life as he's imagining this haunted house murder mystery before he drowns in the fucking apple bucket, <laughs> dreaming of his chalky chalky. There, there's like elements of Halloween party that come into play. There's also some weird like callbacks to Murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. So the egg thing comes back? Yes, he's buying farm fresh eggs and he deliberately buys two that are not matching. So that comes back. But he's still measuring them. And he still seems disappointed that they don't match. But he only tried the the small white egg and the giant brown egg. And not the brown egg and any of the other brown eggs in the fucking egg carton. You I, dumbass. I thought that was on purpose. I couldn't tell. I thought he was trying to make sure they were different. So I don't remember any egg beats in Death on the Nile. So I don't know if he's telling an egg story there or not. Um, The other thing that I thought was a really weird... Uh, element to include in this movie was the initial. So in Murder on the Orient Express, he has a handkerchief with an H on it. 
and half the train has a name that starts with an H. <laughs> and also the Russian has a name that starts with a Russian N, which looks like an H. Yes. So that's that's an element. In this, the the magic typewriter that Joyce uses, even though like it's not real, at one point she's freaking out about the murder, like somebody did a murder. And it hits M. And the M keeps recurring. What does it mean? Does it mean murder? Does it mean... Sancta Maria, the saint's name of Olga Semenov? Olga Saints, Saint was Saint Maria. Is it uh, Maxime? Is it M for Mama? Exactly. And it's such a weird... And maybe it's just because we just did Orient Express. It felt like... A little much to include that. I could also see it being included as a as a reference to Miranda from the right. story, which maybe Ken thought was a little subtle nod because you were already of, doing the typewriter. Which I saw Miranda as the the parrot, which played no fucking part. Yeah, like the parrot said something at one point. It said her name. It said Alicia, and it was the only time it talked. Yeah, it, ta- it didn't talk after she died. But it was also like while he was hallucinating the little girl that was hiding out, which was Alicia. Yeah. So. Yeah. And like, it felt kind of unnecessary. But meanwhile, he was doing a similar thing with apples. Yeah. Where, when Ariadne shows up. Uh, she brings an apple because her diet is only eats apples before supper. Which is a, that is actually something that is in the book is her obsession with apples. And as he's doing his interrogations, when he's interrogating the chef, he cuts himself while peeling an apple. Yes. There's an apple on the table. He looks at the chef's invitation to the party and the letters A-P-P-L-E appear in front of him. Of course, he's hallucinating at this point, as we know. Because that's how he's realizing Ariadne is actually complicit. Not in the yeah. murders, but in the... Exactly. In, in, in the whole scenario. There, she has... Yes. She's lying to him by omission in some ways. Yes. I was okay with the apple, but the M was too much. I feel like you can't do both the M and the apple. Exactly, exactly. Like, stick with the apple. It, it's, it's the same... It's gonna... It's going to do the same work that the mysterious letter is going to do, but it's not so similar to something you've already done in the past. Especially since the H was part of the novel. Yeah. And the M was not. I feel like you could have had the same effect of the, like, you could have gotten that same shock effect of M by just having her, like, the magic keyboard, like, spurt. And you just get a spurt of ink on the paper. Yeah. Because then you didn't, the M didn't mean anything. It didn't need, it lead anywhere. It didn't actually mean anything except her saying murder, which she was already doing. Or, you know? or even just have the typewriter do a string of letters and then the APPLEs in there or something. Exactly. Like, it's, it's two different red herring clues that yeah. both kind of mean something, but like they're both half-baked. Exactly. And if you're half-baking one thing and then half-baking another thing, you can fully bake one thing. Exactly. So, yeah, it was kind of disappointing. So we're doing a lot of complaining, it sounds like. (laughs) Yes. The thing is, the movie's not bad. If this were not an adaptation of Agatha Christie, if this were just presented 
like Knives Out as a detective story. Or even, that's... even do Poirot, but don't base it off a pre-existing novel. Like, yeah. there are James Bond movies coming out now that aren't based on novels because they ran out of Ian Fleming to adapt, right? Yeah. You can, like, granted, he hasn't done 45 of these yet, but why not do an original story with the character? Get the, He had the... Um, the blessing from the Christie estate, they, their name was in the credits. Yes. So we had the blessing to tell this story. Just come up with original names and do this exact story. The thing is, it's a. I would even accept it as like a decent standalone. I. It's not a. It's not a horror movie. It's. It's on the edge of horror. Yeah. You know. It's. It's, it's spooky. It's it's a Halloween episode of Poirot's life, you know? Uh, yeah. Like when old TGIF sitcoms, Family Matters would have a haunting episode or a zombie episode or whatever. Yes. And it was just like kind of a non-canon event, but it was also kind of like written off as like, oh, we were having a bad dream, you know, like that kind yeah. of... Yeah. It, it's a big budget, that kind of thing. And that's okay. Yeah. But putting based on Halloween Party and taking Why? the names from characters of Halloween Party, that's what I can't grasp. The only thing that I can think, and it is not, like, realistically, it's probably he wanted to do a spooky movie and release it in this time frame, and he picked Halloween Party because it says Halloween Party. Fine. But you can do Halloween Party, like, the novel itself. You can condense that into one night. Yeah, that was another thing, is the timeline was deeply condensed. Yeah, he the whole thing took place just inside the palazzo. He yeah. locked the gates at the beginning of the investigation and yes. then unlocked them at morning once it was solved. Which is fine. You can do the original Halloween party that way if you have everybody stay at the house. You just bring in some extra characters in for the party and have no one leave. That's fine. Even keep the thing with Oliver inviting him to the party to try and, like, I don't know... Well, she she invited him anyway in the novel, right? Yes. Just did. have have her invite him well, before the murder. She invited him to to town after the murder had happened. Right. Have her invite him to town before the murder. Say, hey, I'm going to this party. Come with me. Be my plus one. Yeah. You know. Then you can condense it all down. Put it all in a night in one location. Still have him lock the doors and everything. Fuck it. Still set it in Venice. Yeah. Like there's like there's no reason for that story except for the garden that it needs to be in that town. Yeah, the the only thing that I can think is, the only other, like, thing is, thematically, it feels like the theme of both movie, both movie and book is you can't outrun the consequences of your actions. He says it literally as you can't escape your ghosts. Yeah. Because, like, the, the book is... A chain of events started by one little girl telling another little girl an interesting thing that happened to her. Yeah. And it snowballs into multiple people dying. And this is the multiple same Multiple people of... dying, but also previous multiple murders getting solved. Like, the closure does come at the end. comes at a sacrifice. Yes. Which is also an element of the story, the original story, that I feel was missing. Like, there wasn't that element of, like, sacrifice as much. Yeah, but it did feel like all of these characters were... All of the characters in the story were facing their their ghosts. Because you've got... Um, I'm, I am going to, just as a heads up, trigger warning for discussion of concentration camps. Because there's a fucking World oh, War II yeah. thing here. Um, so it felt like all of these characters were facing their demons. In this case... 
Dr. Jamie Dornan. What the fucking uh, Leslie character? Ferrier. Leslie Ferrier. His backstory that he gives for why he stopped practicing medicine was that he was a doctor in the war. And he's like, in 1945, in April, it was supposed to be over. We crossed the Rhine and we walked to the gates of Bergen-Belsen. And he talks about his experience liberating that concentration camp. And he talks about how they accidentally killed a bunch of people because they were feeding them and they overfed them and they died. Yeah, I think it was only two. It, but was it, was, only, it was two the first said, day. Yeah, he said two the first day. And he, he, he worded as, as nursing skeletons back to life. Yes. And that's horrifying. It's haunting shit. And he has PTSD. Like, that's the haunting, is is the memories of... Exactly. Trauma. You know? And he talks about how he actually tried to kill himself in, in the line of service. And when he was discharged, he was told not to practice anymore. But as a, as a favor to Rowena Drake, he went ahead and, and took care of Alicia. Similarly, Joyce. She was a nurse during the war. Yes. And she was dealing with men who were dying in screams of pain and horror. And she couldn't do anything about it. I think you can interpret... You can, if you want to, believe that there is actual... Um, if you want to believe that the hauntings are real and not just poisoned honey, mm. you can interpret her reaction, her psychic, her medium behavior as also, you can choose to interpret it as either, yes, she is actually a psychic and a medium communicating with ghosts, or that is how her PTSD is manifesting itself. I read it more as the latter. Um, also that she's doing it to provide closure for people who have lost people because she's known so many people who were lost. Yeah. Being able to go back, and I, I have a feeling it's not explicit in the movie that I recall, but she started her mediuming in uh, allied countries in neighborhoods where a lot of widows were going to widows and remembering things that were said on deathbeds. Yeah. And saying, oh, this is what he says. And it comes off real enough like that. If you remember, you know, a soldier's last words, you can tell that to any soldier's widow and she'll believe it too, you know? Yeah. And there's still an element of truth to that, at least as far as she's concerned. Yeah. And then you've also got um, the... Uh, 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 oh my God, what is her name? Rowena Drake. Mm -hmm. Her literally, like, the consequences of her actions, she killed her daughter because she couldn't let her daughter go. Yeah. And so she permanently lost her, but no one else can have her either. And she ends up dying for it. Whether or not you believe that her daughter actually, you know, ghostly pulled her into the... <laughs> <laughs> that that I don't believe as much. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it feels like this is a lot of, of people... It does feel like the movie keeps the spirit of the haunting is your own the haunting is not necessarily ghosts it not necessarily real ghosts it's maybe your psychic ghosts and i yeah. mean that in the sense of the your the things that you have done dealing with your own thoughts and consequences and how that resonates with Poirot is the other element that goes across all of his movies is catherine his deceased ex-love yeah, I, I having not seen Murder on the Orient um, Express. And she's not in the fucking book, so you would have no 
frame no, of reference because besides he's the definitely one line. gay, Ken. He's totally gay. Yeah, Just that's deal with it. Such a fucking misread of the character. He is ace at. At the straightest he is is asexual. When like, I, like I told you the other night, this feels like Ken Branna is writing an alternate universe Hercule Poirot who is a fucking action hero and he just like keeps getting further and further from the truth but he's like, no, I'm stuck with it now. But what if Poirot fucks? <laughs> okay, Poirot fucks. He just doesn't fuck the way Ken wants him to. <laughs> yeah. Credit where it's due. There were no shootouts. There were no action scenes. Wildly enough, this has a fucking action scene in the book. I know. The rescue of Miranda is a goddamn action scene. And you you had an action scene and you didn't fucking take it. I know. (laughs) Instead he chooses jump scares. It's so wild to me. It's so wild. Can we discuss the horror elements of this? Sure. Because it does... it's a serviceable horror movie. Not horror, but like... Like, this, this is the kind of movie I would have seen on a date in high school, you know? In like 2005, it's a PG-13 movie. I would have invited the cute girl in class to come to the movies with me. And my dad would have dropped me off and we would have gotten pizza afterwards. Um, That's a very specific scenario. because I was thinking specifically of the time I saw The Ring 2. Uh, but it was pizza before, and I accidentally forgot to pay for my slice, and I lost so much sleep that night over guilt of not paying for my slice of pizza that we went back to the pizza place the next day, and I bought two slices and told them only give me one. <laughs> my gosh. Funny. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the horror movie that kept me up at night. It was good old Christian guilt. You should probably discuss that with a therapist. Yeah, anyway. I have. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like, take Poirot's name off of it. I probably wouldn't have seen it, to be fair. But yeah, no, it's, and and even in the theater tonight, like, it seemed like there were a couple groups of, like, teens on dates. Yeah. Like. The couple in front of us, they were our age, but they were definitely She was older. Was she? I saw her in the light when you were in the bathroom, and she was, like, a good 10, 15 years older than him. Good for her. I know. I mean, good for him. She still had it. <laughs> Not us checking out people in the theater. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, it's, as, as a horror movie, it reminds me of a lot of the, the horror that was coming out, like, specifically the mid-aughts. Like, there was a movie I watched at a high school party. Was it The Skeleton Key? That was- sounds like a movie. I think that's what it was called, and it reminded me similarly, like, the haunting stuff. And the, is it real, is it fake? Like, the ring, like, that kind of, like, is it supernatural, is it psychological kind of horror? Like, this fit that vibe really well with having a skeptic there of, is this real? And that skeptic being challenged on his skepticism. You know what this makes me think of? Um, Possible future episode of the pod? The Turning. Mm? Or is it just called the turn? The uh, turn of the screw. Turning of the screw is the original, right? A uh, turn of the screw, yes. Turn of the screw. I think the movie is just called the turning. Yeah, I believe so. But there's multiple that, adaptations like, of that. I think it's that like unreliable narrator. Is it real or is it happening in her head? Exactly, and that's that's effective in a horror movie. Yeah, and he does Poirot does kind of leave the ambiguity there. Of is it real or is it in my head? It reinvigorates him. He starts taking up cases at the end. I feel like it also, for him, the scariest possible thing is him losing his mind. 
And I, I don't mean him going insane. I mean him losing his critical faculties. And it feels like he is. He, he is shaky and shaken and unsettled by the fact that something might be affecting him that he can't explain. And he says something at the end to that effect, too, that he's he's not used to his brain coming to conclusions before, like, the rationality gets there. His subconscious came to conclusions first. And his, over and over again... In all three of the books that I've read, he is about method and order, and you go... He actually... Um, his lists. His which, lists. Which, that was a great joke it of like, was. oh, like the character in your novels. Are you copying her novels? So funny. Brilliant. Um, so, over and over... He actually, in this one, um, Ariadne calls him a computer, which you couldn't do that in 47, You could have, but she calls him a computer. She's like, you put in all this information and then you spit out an answer. Yeah. So it's interesting that this movie directly contradicts that method and shakes up his methodology. Yeah. Also, I want to say, I want to say, I wonder if that's why he picked Halloween stories so he could do that. But that element's not in the fucking book. Like the things he's trying, like we thought going in, we talked about this before we went in because surprise, we do talk about some of this shit not on recording. I see you on days we don't record. Apparently, we we test. Um, we were talking about this the other night. Like one of the things we wanted to look at is why did he pick this movie? What or this book? What story is he trying to tell with Poirot that required him to use Halloween parties specifically, even though he's setting it in Venice and making changes and we knew that going in? And the thing is, like, a lot of the elements that amplify the story that he's trying to tell, a lot of the important beats in Poirot's character arc in this film are not in Halloween Party. It's stuff he he didn't need to pick this book. It's so weird. I don't understand it. It really feels like somebody... He saw the name Halloween Party and said, perfect, a ghost story, and then read it and, and like, committed to adapting it and then read it and went, shit, this does not have any ghost elements except for the Halloween Party at the beginning. It's more of a Thanksgiving story than anything else. Yeah, like... Yeah, I think he just wanted an excuse to do something spooky. Yeah. Like, just like we joked about him doing it in Venice to take a vacation to Venice, which was completely wrong. They filmed in Quebec. <laughs> I, I assume they did some exteriors in Venice because, like, God, that those exteriors were gorgeous. Yeah. But the vast majority of filming was in... Wait. I, I pulled up the Wikipedia and filming began October 31st, 2022... Ah, with production occurring between Pinewood Studios and Venice, which Pinewood's in London. Oh. I didn't read, I missed, like, the majority. So, there were a bunch of Quebec flags and filmed in Canada during the credits. Yes. And that's why we called that out, but uh, I didn't read the whole credits. So, I guess he did do some filming in Venice and and Pinewood as well. Probably the exterior shots. Yeah, because I was looking to see if Wikipedia had anything on Why? Why? Why, Kenneth? Why? And nothing on the Wikipedia, but I'm going to keep doing some research while we while we chat here. Um, I did want to say, again, as much as we've been... Oh my god, there's not going to be anything. He's not doing interviews right now because of the strike. Oh yeah. Fuck. AMTP pissants need to fucking pay their people so I can find out fucking why, Ken. Well, he is he a member of SAG or is he a member of... Uh... I assume he's in the WGA. Oh my god. Oh no, that's not who I thought it was. Never mind, sorry. 
He didn't have a writing credit on this, though. He didn't. Somebody else. But still, like, he's not gonna... Yeah, he's not gonna write he's not gonna or promote. produce content. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's why everything was filmed elsewhere, because... Well, they started filming in I know, October like, 2022. They probably had it wrapped by... Because I'm thinking, like, British SAG, I know there was, like, a bunch of stuff with that. Yeah. But, anyway, um, as much as we've been complaining about Ken's decisions and the writer's decisions with this... Um, I do want to say again, this production was beautiful because the, the tendency now with horror and spooky and anything where you're trying to make it like serious is just, you can't see shit. Everything was well lit and like beautifully done and there was color and it felt like the only times where you couldn't see things were where it was intentional. Yeah. And we all, well, some of us watched the Game of Thrones final season. I tried to watch it. It was too dark. You listened to it. Um, <laughs> I so can't I, see the Starbucks cup. I, I decided uh, just now, I'm going to see what this writer did. Oh boy, okay. It's written by Michael Green. He's the same guy who wrote the other two. Okay. Uh, Green Lantern. Oh no. And then his 2017... Logan. Okay. Alien Covenant. Oh. Blade Runner 2049. Oh. And Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, boy. He also did Jungle Cruise. Ugh. And he's working on Bioshock. No. I... Because I, Logan is brilliant. And the rest of that is real iffy. Is Alien Covenant the one where, where he makes out with himself? Yes. Okay. Because Prometheus was the other one before Alien Covenant. Prometheus School of Running Away from Things. Let's <laughs> run to the side. Oh. Uh, so, yeah. I don't know what to make of that. I know that we spent the last 45 minutes My shitting God. on this movie. I, I actually... I kind of liked it, too. It was charming. It was good. The writing, like, the dialogue... It was... was the dialogue was really crisp. There were some really good jokes in there. Yes. Like, I laughed out loud a few times. I think the casting was also well done, with the exception of Branna. In that... Well, what are you going to do about that? It was smart to put someone Shit. like Tina Fey in the Ariadne Oliver role, if you were going to give her a heel turn, because she is too... She strikes me as being, like, too smarmy. And I thought that worked really well. Because as soon as she was found out, she was found out. And she, she was like a Scooby-Doo villain. She was like, fuck you, Poirot. You suck. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. She was, she was great. Like, I, she, I know you were worried about her performance. I was. Because I was expecting her to be, like, I don't know. I was expecting her to be more... Um, Liz Lemon, I guess. Yeah, but she no, she she, she did bad. well. Um, I, I liked her. I liked Michelle Yeoh for the ten minutes she was uh, on screen. Michelle Yeoh was chewing the scenery and having a great time doing it. Um, the kid who played Leopold, I thought he was pretty good. He was apparently in Belfast. Oh, okay. Jude, Jude Hill. He was he was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I always like I cringe at kids and things in general, um, but he was fine. Um, Jamie Dornan is Jamie Dornan. He just he had was, to be awkward for a while. He was good. He was good. He like his portrayal of somebody with PTSD was different from what I'm used to seeing, and I appreciated that. 
Because yeah. it wasn't so stereotypical as you'd, you'd see in years past, you know? Yeah. Um, the woman that played Rowena Drake, first of all, like we said, absolute smoke show. Kelly Riley. Kelly Riley. Yeah, what else has she done? Because I recognize her face. Um, She was in Black Box. Okay. She was in True Detective. She's in Yellowstone. What? 2005's Pride and Prejudice. Oh my god, she's the she's the lesbian sister. That's who she um, is. She was Mary in 2009 Sherlock Holmes. The Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. Yes, okay. Yes, yes. Those mm. are what I know her from. Yeah. She has the very, like, stereotypical, um, or not stereotypical, the very classic beauty face, where she has, like, the, the sculpted high cheekbones and the very sharp pointed nose, um... Yeah, she, she was hot. Extremely beautiful. She was hot. I'm not gonna lie. She played. She was perfectly cast, and she ate the role up. She knew exactly when to cry. She knew exactly when to turn off the the charm and be a little spicy. Yeah, like going in as soon as the character named uh, Julie Reynolds died. Joy, Joyce. Joyce. Jesus Reynolds. Christ. Yes. As soon as the character named Joyce Reynolds died, I knew that Rowena Drake was the murderer. Yes. I was trying to piece together the affair that she was having with Maxime because he had the same initials as Michael Garfield. Exactly. So I was like, oh my God. But that was more of a... That's actually... I wonder if that was intentional to give him the same initials so that if you knew the story, you'd assume that he was also part of it and you'd try to piece that together. Exactly. Because he shows up, he's an asshole... And he's real upset, like real, real uh, thuggish and brutish to everyone at the party. And of course, she casts him as the bad guy, and everyone wants to sympathize with her or empathize with her. So they're all like, fuck you, Maxime. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm torn. There. Uh, so, a few nights ago, I watched uh, Steven Spielberg's AI Artificial Intelligence. <laughs> and it's the first time I've seen it since maybe 2002. I have a point I'm going to make here. And it's the first time I've seen it since 2002. Since 2002, I've watched all but maybe two of Kubrick's films. And I knew going into it that it was a Kubrick project that was handed off to Spielberg and produced after Kubrick's death. And it made me so mad that a movie that inspired me to think about the future when I was young, like, was ruined because I was seeing, I was seeing Steven Spielberg in a way emulate what Stanley Kubrick would have done, but not do it with the precision that Kubrick would have. And it doesn't have the same effect that way. Seeing this movie is like seeing a good horror movie. But done by somebody who's not trying to make a good horror movie. And it's it, it, it's a creator serving two masters. And it's, it's like, are you doing a murder mystery or are you doing her or are you doing a psychological horror? Because they don't necessarily work together. At least not in this way. And I think that's why I'm torn. Like, I, I can definitely see the quality in the movie. There's a lot of quality in this movie. Yes. There really is. And if you haven't seen the TV movie or read the book, this is probably a really fucking good movie. 
I feel like it's probably the best of the three. They all had very good elements. I I would agree. I think this is the best of the three. Murder on the Orient Express would be second, and Death on the Nile can go fuck itself. Not to... Not <laughs> I don't to, need to rant about that again. Not to Beetlejuice and bring up the movie series that must not be named again, but you know how I always told you that the third one, which I believe is your favorite... Yeah. ...is the best movie and the worst adaptation? Yeah. I feel like that's the same thing here. Yeah. No, that that On tracks. its own merits, if this were just a standalone movie that did not have... Hercule Poirot. Change nothing but the names. Exactly. It's great. Yes. Just, even if you just set it up as you you show up and you do a little bit more with the the retired detective shtick and it's just like clearly a washed up old guy who's like I have seen too much, I am retired and I'm done. You could totally tell the story of someone being reinvigorated and finding their passion again. Yeah, still... It didn't need to be Hercule Poirot. Yeah, as a standalone, it works. Like, all you would need to do is just take away the eggs and the... Uh, you could even keep in the, the eggs. The Dickens. If you didn't watch the other two movies, you could even keep in the eggs and be like, oh, this guy's just weirdly Neurotic, particular about yeah. his eggs. Like, and the reference to Catherine. Like, just the references like to specific things from other movies, take them away. This is yeah. a great movie. Yeah. It really is. It's just... There's an expectation with the name Hercule Poirot, with Agatha Christie, and I don't think it quite meets the expectation. Not of quality, but of content. Yes. You're putting expectations on a movie and not delivering the kind of movie that your audience expects. You're, it's not a swerve for swerve's sake, but it's a fundamental misunderstanding of either the source material or the character, possibly both. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder if that's on the writer or if that's on Brana. It's probably both. A little column A, a little column B. It's probably Cause, the cause writer realizing, being... realizing, because I didn't, it didn't like click with me that all of these were written by a different guy and not by Ken, even though Ken is the director. So some of it is on him. Yeah, but also a lot of the things that we praise are directly influenced by a director on set and the issues that we have are generally writing related have we been too hard on ken no because if you have ken you know he had his fingers all over that script it's true and that's very also how much of that is i'm writing this story to the specifications of the person who ordered it and why the fuck did he grow the mustache back? He went through so much effort explaining his fucking mustache, and then with not a word said about it, the mustache is back, fully grown on his face, no war scars, not mentioning that again. Make it make sense. It's because the scars are psychological, Bill. <laughs> the scars are the ghost. The real haunting is the scars we made along the way. <laughs> I'm done. Oh my god, we're about to release a fucking two hour long episode of this goddamn podcast. <laughs> because fucking Kenneth Brada wanted to make a fucking trilogy. Well, there is one more thing I wanted to bring up. Yes. Um, oh, two more things, actually. First, we saw this... 
um, at our local independent theater. Lamely North Hollywood. Yes. I believe it is specifically the Lamely NoHo 7. Yes. There is a project going on, um, a development project in the area. Unfortunately, due to COVID, um, the cinema did have to sell their building. Um, they, of course, warned the... They notified the neighborhood. They explained everything. But they actually have contested the destruction of the building because the company that purchased it uh, is trying to destroy it and put in a 128-unit apartment building. Yep. Which we are all for affordable housing. But there are so many vacant apartments on our street alone, and we're three blocks away from that theater. Correct. The other issue is that they are trying to put in 128 units and mixed-use retail as well. And only 70 parking spots. And 30% less uh, than required for the retail as well. Yes. So, on September the 28th, at 8.30 a.m. Pacific time, there is a public hearing about the Lamley. And it may be available virtually... So go to planning.lacity.org slash about slash commissions dash boards dash hearings for the meeting agenda. Can you Google drop that could in probably, the... Uh... I'll put that in the uh, description as well. Um, we, we love this theater. A, it's walking distance so I can get jacked the fuck up before I go to movies, which I love to do. Can't do that if I got to drive to Burbank. B, it is... A Lamely, which is an independent chain, the theater decorations that they have are old school posters from Carl Lamely's private personal collection. We're talking originals like La Belle at La Bette posters. Yeah. And um, blow up, like not the Travolta '80s one, like the original like 1960 blow up. Yes. Um, like just classic movie uh, posters on the walls. They share. They show independent cinema. They'll show major releases as well. They show major releases to get more audiences to come in, but their bread and butter is the independent releases. Yeah, when uh, Netflix released All Quiet on the Western Front, they screened it there. Yep. Um, if you've seen the movie The Disaster Artist, at the end of that movie, there is some real-life footage of Tommy Wiseau at screenings of The Room. One of the shots is outside of the Lamley because they screened The Room there. They do a lot of independent shit like that. And it's it's such a cool spot. It's been there for ages. And it's kind of a hallmark of this neighborhood. They used to have advertising boards. I don't know if that advertising board is still there that goes across the building next door. Yes. When you, when you come in on a major intersection and it would show movie quotes, just classic movie quotes. And that was, that was it. It was just a big LED like strip. And it, it's such like a... a, a centerpiece of this neighborhood it's a landmark of this neighborhood and it would be a shame for it to be gone for another boring ass apartment building that's going to be mostly vacant and the rest airbnbs you know yeah so if you want to help out that's there september 28th 2023 8 30 a.m pacific time 11 30 a.m eastern standard time uh we would really appreciate it uh, especially if you are LA local, especially if you are NoHo local, that mm-hmm. would be greatly appreciated. Second, uh, speaking of spooky and ghosts and hauntings from the past. Oh. Our next. 
It's spooky month. It is spooky month. October spooky month. Well, the podcast, the next podcast will be coming out in spooky month. We are going to be doing The Classic by Daphne du Maurier, Rebecca. Which was adapted to film by the master of horror, Alfred Hitchcock. Are there any other versions or is it just Hitchcock? There was that re-release last year, I think. There was a, a streamer did it. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Was it? I Thank you for reminding me. I wasn't intending to watch that, but I guess I'm going to now. <laughs> so we're talking uh, Rebecca. Um, before we get into some really special stuff we're going to do after that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, until next time, uh, our link tree is in the description. The public hearing uh, URL is going to be in the description as well. Um, I think that's all we got. Thank you for listening to us for two fucking hours. Enjoy whatever song, whatever random pop song they put in the trailer for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) There were trailers? Well, yeah, we just don't watch them. I just saw all the little Chucky Chucky trailers. (laughs) You're on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it's Imagine Dragons, like fucking Motor on the Orient Express. No! (laughs) Ugh.